What's up, everybody? This is Cy Smith. And Sean Carter-Peterson. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School. With your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. The best internet radio station on the planet. Woo! I'm the f***ing man. Y'all don't get it, do you? Type of money, everybody acting like they know you. Go uptown, New York City, bitch. Some Spanish girls love me like I'm out with Tell Uncle Luke I'm out in Miami too. Clubbing hard, f***ing women, ain't much to do. Wrist playing, got a condo up on Biscayne. Still getting brain from a thing, ain't changed. How you feel, how you feel, how you feel? 25 sitting on 25 mil, uh. I'm in the building and I'm feeling myself. Rest in peace, Mac Dre. I'ma do it for the pay, okay? Getting paid, we'll holler whenever that stop. My team good, we don't really need a mascot. Tell tune, light one, pass it like a relay. YMC and B, you more YMCA. Me, Franny, and Molly Mall at the cribbo. Shot goes out to Nico, J, and Chubb, shot to Gibbo. We got Santa Margarita by the leader. She know even if I'm fucking with her, I don't really need her. Ah, oh, that's how you feel, man. That's really how you feel. Cause the pimpin' nice cold, all these just wanna chill. I mean, maybe she won't, and again, maybe she she will, I can almost guarantee she know the deal, real nigga. Now she want a photo, you already know though. You only live once, that's the motto, nigga YOLO. And we bout it every day, every day, every day. Like we sitting on the bench, but we don't really play. Every day, every day, what anybody say. Can't see him cause the money in the way, real nigga. What's up? Yes, we are back. KCWG, thetruth.com's program called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome, and I am very proud to welcome back this guest. It's been a little while since she's been here. She's actually the author of, or the co-author, I should say, of Social Justice and Parent Partnerships in Multicultural Education Contexts. And I brought her here to have some perspective on what's happening in our country as far as reopening schools and reopening the country in general. Uh, I think she has a lot to say. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School. Dr. Catherine Norris. Dr. Norris, are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. I'm glad to be here this afternoon from Delaware. Yeah, absolutely. So ladies and gentlemen, uh, she's in Delaware, right outside of Philadelphia, and she's currently a professor at Westchester University. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Well, Dr. Norris, it's really good to have you back, and I have been absolutely vexed at what I've been seeing, being that I work in education, too, as a school psychologist. And it is perplexing to me to see the rush to judgment when it comes to making a determination about reopening schools, reopening the country in general, but reopening schools in particular. Uh, Based on what you've seen so far and how it looks out there where you are, what are your perspectives on the prospect of reopening our schools during this era of coronavirus and social distancing? What are your thoughts on that, Dr. Norris? Well, I think that, and coming from Westchester University, uh, we were one of the early uh, universities to decide um, to be out for the remaining uh, of the semester, the remainder of the semester. And I think that here in Pennsylvania and Delaware, we have some uh, school districts that have decided to remain closed for the remaining of the academic year. I think that is probably the best thing to do. Um, although I understand the concerns that we have, making sure that our students stay on track and are getting the education that they need, I think remaining closed to me is a good choice. Okay, fabulous. Now, people have been touting that this has long exposed some very long-standing inequities in the, uh, the system of education and how it exposes how people of color or students of color are disproportionately positioned to be harmed even more so uh, by this uh, coronavirus sheltering in. Uh, can you speak on that a little bit? What are some of the inequities that have been exposed even further 
in the wake of this pandemic? I think very early on, that was one of the first things that I noticed um, when uh, everyone was shutting their systems down. Some of the larger districts like Philadelphia and New York uh, took a little longer to shut down because they were worried about things that other districts didn't really have to worry about. They were worrying about making sure that their students were going to be in safe spaces, making sure that their students were going to have uh, the meals that they needed each day. And they also understood that there were a lot of their students that didn't have access to computers uh, and internet services. Uh, so we're seeing uh, some of those things, uh, light being shed on those things, things that we already know about if we are from uh, those areas and those districts. Yeah, for sure. It's a little frustrating, though, Dr. Norris, because I'm watching these decision makers and uh, governors and states across the country, and some of them are making good decisions. I'm out here in California where Governor Gavin Newsom has also been uh, one of the front runners in terms of making uh, major decisions about uh, the governance of his state and how we uh, conduct ourselves right now. So I'm glad to hear that you guys are doing it out there, too. But what's been frustrating is this prospect that if we reopen schools right now, uh, it won't be so bad. Kids need to be around safe spaces where they can get their education, get their meals, and be uh, educated. Because in essence, we need to open our economy up right now. And one of the first steps that they're talking about is getting kids back to school. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, it's hard for me to ask that question without experiencing a little bit of fuming frustration at the, um, the sense of dismissal that, it, you know, the prospect of that, I think Dr. Oz was one of the people that was saying the prospect of reopening schools would only cost us two to 3% of casualties. It's like, what? We trading lives now? Um, can, what are your thoughts on the, the value of human life, students, versus opening the economy in the age of this pandemic. Uh, can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, I think one of the things that's frustrating is that this the people that are making those decisions are people that won't be in those schools, right? Mm -hmm. And won't be in those settings. So um, I'm not a doctor nor a medical scientist, but I my opinion is that health comes first and we need to put health and safety as a priority and especially when we look at the numbers in the black community our students and our children our families will probably be impacted more by going back to school uh, than any other community um, here so we have to be open and we have to be vocal about these conversations that we're having um, we're concerned and we want to make sure that our students are getting good quality education as well but our number one priority is to make sure that we keep everyone healthy and alive and if that means staying home then we need to stay home for the remainder or the duration of this academic school year. Absolutely. Has your district uh, in particular made a decision about that? Are they considering reopening or are they actually doing online uh, distance learning right now? I imagine you all had some kind of model in place already prior to this, right? We actually, and right now I'm speaking from the university that I'm uh, uh, teaching at, we, we actually, um, had to make those decisions in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think our administration did a really good job. They've already made the decision to stay home for the remainder of the academic year, but okay. we've also made a decision to stay home for uh, the summer as well, because we typically have summer courses. We also have a lot of students come on campus for uh, high school students. Uh, they come on our campus for 
clubs and sports and um, those things, summer bridge programs, and we've already made a decision at the university level that those face-to-face um, things will not be happening. Oh, wow. Sounds like you, you, you all out there are making some really sound decisions, in my opinion. So if you could speak to what, what could be the possible impact on learning? Um, I'm, I am in educational psychology. So one, one of the things I specialize is the, the impact of emotions on behavior and vice versa. Academic based on curriculum, what can be harmed in the, in the course of trying to force the issue of trying to force students to learn during this time, even though while you're dealing with older students, albeit uh, they, they may have learned a, a few more coping skills and resiliency resources. They might be more resourceful because they're older, but what are your thoughts on the, the, the idea of right now sort of forcing children or your, you know young adults to try to learn during a time of uh, vast uncertainty like this? Well, I think it's critical that we um, first, and, and this is for all students, whether we're talking PK 12, all the way through the university level, I think it's important for us to understand um, the difference in access. So Philadelphia did a really good job at making sure that they um, provided hand paper uh, curricula for their students initially, and now they have gotten Chromebooks and they're getting those out to the students. But we have to remember as teachers and as educators that everybody is coming to the table at a different space. So if I'm a student or a family that just uh, getting a Chromebook and just now getting internet access, um, my ability to maneuver online is not going to be the same as someone who's already had access to that and who does that on a daily basis. So we have to think about um, we have to think about those types of things too. We have to think about amount of screen time that we're having the students uh, online. Uh, is that okay? Is that research-based? Do we have young children that are online for too long of a period during the course of the day? We need to make sure, and I'm starting to hear reports in from public school systems, uh, from teachers and families and parents, that some uh, kids are now being required to do a whole lot more work than they were doing oh, when yes. in the classroom. So I don't think, I think teachers in their attempt to uh, make sure that their students are learning need to be very mindful to not make it too rigorous. Even at the college level, I'm hearing that, you know, we're all online and we're providing this. We want to make sure that they're not be a short change, but we're kind of overloading them and they're mm -hmm. getting so much more, which yes. means they're sitting at this screen, this computer screen all day and all night. So we have to be cognizant of that and conscious of that as well. Whew. I can speak to that. I remember the first time I took an online course at UCLA Extension out here in California, and I was just amazed at the volume of work required for an online class. I mean, that professor had us read every chapter, answer every type of question, write about every type of question, it's extremely rigorous and far more uh, acutely challenging compared to being in person in the classroom setting. So I can vouch for that. So one of your um, projects that you did with your uh, dear uh, colleague, Dr. Tria Collier, who was planning to be here with us, uh, in your book, Social Justice and Parent Partnerships in Multicultural Education Context, you talk about sort of cultural awareness and cultural parity. Any thoughts on um, the 
the, the diversity in the classroom and education system and the disproportionate access sometimes to learning that some of our bilingual students or our international students have during a time like this? In what ways are they impacted by this pandemic? And how do educators such as you try to adjust your curriculum to accommodate some of them? So when we're talking about things like uh, language um, barriers that exist, uh, we need to make sure um, that the instruction that we're providing for the parents, for our young, young kids, uh, that they have access to it in their home language. And I know that this is a whole lot to do because we're, you know, in the middle of this whole craziness and we're all trying to figure things out at the same time. But can we provide translators? Can we provide um, access uh, to the parents to have the materials? And the same with the students. And I know some of the programs that we're using are very good at making sure that they have those things. But even with our students that are special needs learners, um, how are they getting those supports? What does that support look like? Uh, we have to think about things like when we provide work or curriculum that's in an online format, um, what is best for our students that are visually impaired or our students that um, struggle with things like spatial uh, or visual uh, uh, deficits and that kind of thing. Um, all of that has to be considered. So I think that when we talk about things like grading and, and I hear a lot of students are being punished because their video is off but they're turning their video off because they don't want their classmates to see uh, their home surrounding, or they turn the sound off because of something that's going on in the house um, that they don't want anyone else to hear. Um, we're also dealing with uh, issues that families are finding. Okay, yes, I have a computer at home, but I have three children that are at three different levels and that all need to be logging in at the same time. And we don't have three different computers. So depending on what the district is doing and if they're supply, supplying those computers for all of the kids in the house, um, those are different issues that we need to think about. So when we think about our uh, bilingual or multilingual students, when we think about our students with special needs, or students that are coming from backgrounds that uh, we live in multifamily households, so it's a whole lot going on. Um, I hear uh, professors and even K-12 teachers saying um, if they, they're going to be, you know, uh, punished if they, their video is off or they're going to be punished if they're sounded, you know, so we have to really rethink how we're doing this thing, mm. especially because it's so new. Her book is called Social Justice and Parent Partnership in Multicultural Education Contexts. We've been speaking with Dr. Catherine Norris. Dr. Norris, thanks for joining us again. What's the best place for people to get in touch with you or to find your book? Yes, so for sure, you can go right on to Amazon.com and you can get a copy of um, our textbook there. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm on Twitter at Prof Norris, P-R-O-F-N-O-R-R-I-S, and you could hit me up there. It was so good being with you this afternoon and stay well. Oh, you do the same. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this. This is Amber Ojeda, and you're listening to Psychotic Bum School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Every man has a place in his heart, there's a space. And the world can erase his fantasy 
Continuing our discussion, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've been seeing a lot of coverage on the news of the impact of this coronavirus in the African-American community, but what has not been covered as much as that is what's happening in our other very diverse communities, including the Latin community. I have a couple of people that have been here before, and they're going to help us have this conversation because there are some adverse, uh, just some very tertiary experiences that are happening right now at our border, which is not being talked about anymore, nor is something else being talked about, the impact on relationships and those that may be experiencing abuse. So to help me have that conversation, I'd like to welcome back two amazing uh, frontline workers. We have licensed marriage and family therapist, Maria Alfaro out of Southern California, and the incomparable Gigi Da Silva Castro, educational psychologist as well as marriage and family therapist in Northern California. Maria, Gigi, are you there? I'm yes. here. Oh, fantastic. I am really excited to have this conversation with you both. Let's turn first to Maria because I had you here a few months ago and we were talking about the crisis at the border and I haven't heard much about, about that since the onset of this pandemic. What can you tell us about what you know about the latest in terms of how this pandemic has impacted issues at the border? Ms. Maria Alfaro. It has a lot of impact. Um, as you may be aware, a lot of the Central uh, America countries, they shut down their borders and they're not allowing to either enter or leave the country. So therefore, a lot of um, illegal doc, um, people who were trying to get to United States, they actually got trapped in Mexico and they cannot go back to uh, to their corresponding countries. So mm -hmm. they're just there and, um, and the problem is 
they're running out of money. They don't have a place to stay. They're living in, in um, shelters and they don't have so much access to, uh, to medical facilities. So it's been a lot of problems and most of all, they cannot even request for asylum given that right now, as you might be aware, uh, immigration is not processing any applications at the present. So it has had a lot of process and uh, I myself work with an attorney where um, I help do the uh, evaluations for the, um, for the people who are seeking asylum and they also stop because right now families, they don't have um, means, uh, you know, like for, to gain any, to to search for any kind of uh, employment given the pandemic and most of all there's a lot of fear a lot of fear even just going out so it has tremendous effects oh my goodness yeah that sounds like a lot and Gigi I can only imagine the impact in the educational world from a mental health standpoint what's been your experience so far based on what you've seen in your region what can you tell us Miss Gigi De Silva Castro um so on my end I, I agree with everything that Maria has said and to to just jump on that, I think that what has this portion of the population has already been, I think, isolated and mm-hmm. fearful because of all the, um, you know, negativity towards immigrants. And yeah. then I think that it has even further isolated them, as she has mentioned. And educationally, I think it has impacted them negatively, tremendously, because of um, you know, many of these families are poor. As you know, I'm in Northern California, but I, I live in Napa. Mm-hmm. And on uh, a couple of my schools, 90%, or one of them is even 95% of the population of students are, are, are Latin American, you know, they're mm-hmm. Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And um, what I find is that many of them don't even have computers or laptops that they can even access Zoom meetings or Zoom, you know, virtual classrooms with their teachers. So the school district has had to um, not only supply them with um, with these laptops and, and devices that they need to access their education, but yeah, yeah. we've also had to ensure that, you know, help provide internet because yeah, right. many of them don't even have access to internet. And so, um, and, and, and so that poses a problem for obvious reasons, but also for me, because um, I've been checking in via phone, but right. I can't see them anymore face to face because they don't have access to, to the internet. And so that's been really challenging. It's already awkward and different and a little more uh, distant to, to, to do these counseling sessions over over Zoom, but like now imagine when they have no internet, I'm just kind of calling and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, really sad Absolutely. to see because the parents are trying mm-hmm. and, um, and they're stressed out and they're losing their jobs because many of these mm-hmm. parents work in the um, restaurant business, mm-hmm. you know? And so as we are able, to stock up 
yeah. and um, get our necessities. Many of them are living paycheck to paycheck. So they don't have the affordability to, to stock up. They have to go as they get paid and they're just not mm. getting paid and have access to cash or anything to feed their families. So they're, they're, you know, one of those families that are in lines um, for food handouts. It's, yeah. it's just a horrible situation that, that I, I think um, the government has not planned for. And Absolutely. Unfair. Yes. And it's really just laying bare all of these, these social differences and inequities that existed even prior to this, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Anytime something like this hits the communities of color, they always feel the impact more. Maria, uh, I, I did want to talk about uh, potential issues with being stuck inside with potential abusers and not being able to access help. Uh, what can you tell us on from from a MFT standpoint? Are you getting a lot of extra calls about domestic abuse or uh, people in trouble, whether it be women, men, or children? Uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, actually, yes, it is happening. There has been an increase in domestic violence. Um, the main issue is like now their families have been forced to be, um, in a, you know, in a house uh, 24-7. So compared to before, prior to coronavirus, where parents were working, children were at school, they would meet a few hours. So now it's like they have to deal with each other. So they haven't been exposed to be, you know, being together. So yes, tempers, we have received, um, you know, like actually abuse from parents, um, from fathers, um, domestic violence, uh, physical abuse. Uh, We have been able to put uh, put people in hotels um, because they needed to be leaving their homes due to the domestic violence. Uh, Tempers, I mean, it's not easy dealing with what's happening so of course like they're getting frustrated getting angry uh some of these people don't have the capacity to deal with the anger so they start getting aggressive so yes there has been an increment in domestic violence yeah so sad so sad yes well uh, i want to thank you both for bringing these issues to the forefront um where can people turn maria if they want to try to access help and reach out to someone like yourself or Gigi? Uh, if they're in a situation like that, what can they do? There are a lot of places where they can call. Um, at the moment, I don't have the phone numbers, but um, they can contact in my um, in Southern California if they were to contact two one one, and they speak Spanish English, um, and they can provide assistance where they can go to receive mental health services. Oh, that's great. Awesome. And up in Northern California, uh, of course, we have protective services that we can call if we know our children may be suspected of having uh, exposure to to that kind of harm. But Gigi, uh, any resources you can share with us as to what families can do uh, in addition to reaching out to their schools for help and getting food and picking up laptops when they can? Uh, What else can you tell us on that before we let you go? Well, in Napa, we have an organization called Mentis that um, has bilingual therapists and um and also shelters that they can um that they can have get access to if they're really in a in a compromising and dangerous situation at home absolutely 
And we, we want to encourage them because we know that there is a very, very palpable level of fear out there and legitimately so because there have been some obvious depictions of this country being very, very cruel to this population. And so if they are in trouble, they might hesitate calling 911 if they need help or if they need an officer to come check in or do a welfare check and check in and see how they're doing, you know? But we really want them to know that those resources are available and um, wow, hopefully, oh my God, hopefully they won't get arrested. I mean, I know that in, uh, I think in Oakland, California, they made it plainly known to some of the ICE officers there that they're not going to be reporting anybody right now for deportation. I mean, we have to put all that aside. I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis right now and all that stuff needs to just fall it by is. the wayside so we can just do the right thing. Oh my God. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been listening to Maria Alfaro, licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California. And of course, Gigi Da Silva Castro, educational psychologist, as well as marriage and family therapist in Northern California. Ladies, thank you so much for what you're doing for our communities. Continued success to you. And when you come back, uh, I'm going to be looking for some updates again. So will you join us again on Psychotic Bump School? Sure. Yes. Yeah. Would love that. Thank All you. right, y'all. That's Maria and Gigi. Stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back after this.